It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Caprice and welcome to the Unseen Podcast, a podcast dedicated to UK missing people. Now, I'm not anyone special, I'm not in the police, I don't have any sort of law background. In fact, I'm a teacher who is recording this podcast at home with her cat. What I do have though, is a love and obsession for podcasts, to the point that I don't have any storage left on my phone for anything else. So, what led me to start a podcast myself? Well, my fascination with the subject of missing people. The big question of how does someone just vanish? I want to draw attention to the stories of these missing people, particularly in the UK, where 250,000 people go missing every year. Through the podcast, I'll be covering famous UK missing person cases, plus less known stories that need to be explored to help the missing and their families. Our story today is the mysterious and fascinating case of Lord Lucan. Now, like lots of other people, I'd heard of Lord Lucan, but until I started digging down into the case, I was not quite aware of how many strange twists and turns that were involved in it. From start to finish, I was hooked, and I think you will understand why. Over the next few episodes, we will be delving deep into this case and trying to piece together the facts. Lord Lucan was born Richard John Bingham, 7th Earl of Lucan, on the 18th of December, 1934. By all accounts, Lord Lucan had all the luxuries of a fine English gentleman. He was educated at the Harvey School in New York, and Eton in the United Kingdom. Travelling around from Toronto to New York and the UK with his father, the 6th Earl of Lucan, his mother, Caitlin Elizabeth Ann Dawson, and his brother and sister, Hugh and Sally. He became second lieutenant in the Coldstream Guard, which was his father's regiment, and spent some time in Germany in 1953. Lucan had a far from perfect record while at Eton and had developed a taste for gambling, often dedicating more of his time to that than his studies. On leaving the regiment in 1955, he returned to London and began working at William Branson Sons, a merchant bank. He continued his passion for gambling while working and became a member of the Claremont Gambling Club, ran by John Aspinall. 
The Berkeley Square Club in London was a place where Lucan thrived on games like bridge and backgammon, and he had his own share of wins and losses. He got himself into debt, which family trusts and family members helped him to get out of several times. In the end, Lucan decided that he did not need his job and he could make more money from gambling alone. In 1960, he left William Branson's sons and travelled around America, meeting friends and indulging in different expensive luxuries. Three years later, Lucan met his future wife, Veronica Duncan. Veronica was born in 1937 to Major Charles Morehouse Duncan and Thelma, his wife. The family suffered the loss of their father early in a car accident and they relocated to South Africa. Her mother remarried and they returned to England after her stepfather became a manager at a hotel in Guildford. After attending a prestigious school, Veronica displayed a talent for art and went on to study art in Bournemouth. Her sister Christina and Veronica shared a flat in London and through Christina's marriage to William Shand Kidd, Veronica was introduced to the world of London High Society and to Lord Lucan. They met at a golf club function and the pair were married on the 20th of November 1963. Now let's just get a bigger picture of what London looked like in the 1960s. The 60s in London was an era of excitement, innovation, new ideas and the beginning of a new culture. For young people, swinging London was a hub of activity. Due to the abolition of national service for male soldiers, there were more and more people moving to the capital. And due to the baby boom in the 50s, there were lots more young people in the city. The phenomena was electric with art, music and fashion blossoming. The Beatles were at the heart of their fame. Supermodels were on front pages and the miniskirt was worn by career-focused professional women. Lord Lucan and his wife enjoyed the life that the swinging 60s afforded them. They honeymooned on the Orient Express and bought a house at 46 Lower Belgrave Street in Belgravia, which was redecorated for the couple's high standards. Due to his father's death in 1964, Lord Lucan inherited his father's titles of Earl of Lucan and Baron Lucan. Veronica inherited the title Countess of Lucan. In addition, the couple reputedly inherited £250,000 from the 6th Earl of Lucan. The couple quickly had their first child. In 1967, they would have their second child, and in 1970, their third and final child together. In those years, Lord Lucan would indulge in all his famous hobbies, drinking expensive Russian vodka, eating out several times a day, and of course gambling until the early hours of the morning. It would not come as a surprise that during this era, Lord Lucan was asked a screen test for the role of James Bond, but he turned this down. He gained a reputation of a very good professional gambler and earned the name of Lucky Lucan, despite suffering some heavy losses. During this time, Lady Lucan found it very difficult as she was suffering from postnatal depression following the birth of her second and third child. While being partially ignorant of Lord Lucan's heavy losses during this time, it was undoubtedly putting a heavy strain on their marriage. Lord Lucan was somewhat concerned about his wife's mental health 
and took her to a psychiatric hospital in Hampstead for treatment. This, however, did not save the couple's marriage, and in 1972, Lucan moved out of their house and into a new house in Eaton Row, and then a few months later, into a house in Elizabeth Street. After moving out of the house, the couple's relationship understandably began to get a little more hostile. Lord Lucan began to spy on his wife and on the house where they were living, and made attempts to discredit her mental state in order to gain custody of the children. A series of rumours were circulated by Lucan that his wife had gone mad, and that none of the nannies employed would continue to work for her. Bitter hostility between the two ensued, and a court eventually granted custody to Veronica, after Lucan took the children from a nanny without her knowledge. Lucan began to squeeze Veronica financially, and delayed payments for household things, like shopping and the milkman. The court case had drained Lucan's finances, and he was not in a good position. He allegedly told friends that his problems might go away if he could only get rid of his wife, and he had apparently tried to borrow money so he could buy his children back off Veronica. But these allegations have never been fully verified. Lucan's bank accounts were all overdrawn, and he had amassed debts of a suspected £50,000 from gambling. It was in this hostile environment that Sandra Rivett was employed as the children's new nanny by Lady Lucan in 1974. The days leading up to the murder have been scrutinised in detail as part of the Lucan missing person case, so I'll break them down into days and hours. Friends and family reported that Lucan had stopped obsessing about Veronica in 1974 and had become his usual self. His movements on the days before the murders are, in hindsight, extremely important. November the 6th, 1974. Lucan met with his uncle, John Bevan. He also met with Charlotte Adrina Collican and racing driver Graham Hill. Nobody reported that Lucan appeared out of sorts, but more just like his usual self. November the 7th, 1974. Lucan normally gambled until the early morning and did not get up until lunchtime. But on this day, Lucan did not follow his normal routine. He rang his solicitor at 10.30am and spoke to Charlotte Collican to arrange dinner at 3pm at the Claremont Club. He also had dinner arrangements at the Claremont Club at 1pm with the artists Dominic Ells and banker Daniel Minershagen. The problem was that Lucan failed to appear at either of those dinner arrangements that day. Charlotte Collican drove past the Claremont and all of his favourite places, like the Ladbrook Club, and she could not see Lucan's car anywhere nearby. Lucan, however, had appeared by 4pm and entered a chemist on Lower Belgrave Street, near his wife's home, and asked the pharmacist to identify a pill capsule that he had with him. The pill was Limbatrol 5, which was a drug used to treat depression and anxiety. He had come into the chemist to inquire about other pills before, since he had split up with his wife, but he had never divulged where the pills had come from. After this, at 4.45pm, he called his friend Michael Hicks Beach, who came to meet him between 6.30pm and 6.45pm at his flat on Elizabeth Street. 
Lucan apparently needed some help to write an article about gambling for an Oxford University magazine. Lucan drove Michael Hicks Beach home at around 8pm, but not in his normal vehicle, a Mercedes-Benz, but he took him home in an old, dark, scruffy Ford, as testified by Michael Hicks Beach. The Ford could possibly have been a Ford Corsair, which he had borrowed from his friend, Michael Stoop, a few weeks earlier. Lucan then dropped off at the Claremont to check on a dinner reservation with Greville Howard at 11pm. Lucan himself had made the suggestion to make those plans, rather than go to the theatre. He failed to appear for this reservation and did not pick up his phone when anyone tried to get hold of him. Meanwhile, at 46 Lower Belgrave Street, Belgravia, Lady Lucan and Sandra Rivet, the nanny, were at home after putting the children to bed. Sandra Rivet was a former secretary who had moved from Australia and back during her first ten years. Sandra had had a child of her own called Stephen, but due to a failing relationship, her parents had adopted him in 1965. Sandra married Roger Rivet in 1967. Roger took a job as an SO truck driver in 1973, and when he returned in 1974, their marriage collapsed due to his suspicions of what Sandra was doing while he was away. Sandra took a job with the Belgravia Agency and started working for the Lucans not long after her marriage collapsed in May 1974. On the night of September the 7th, 1974, Sandra had changed her plans with her boyfriend, John Hankins. She normally went out with him on Thursday nights but had seen him the day before instead. She spoke to him at 8pm, and then, at 8.55pm, had gone downstairs to make a cup of tea for herself and Lady Lucan. This is where the fateful event took place. As Sandra entered the basement kitchen, she was bludgeoned with a lead pipe, which had been bandaged together. The killer then reportedly placed her body in a mail sack made out of canvas. For this part of the story, we'll have to take Lady Lucan's word for it. Therefore, I will say alleged, and according to a lot. According to Lady Lucan, she then came down to the basement to see what had happened to Sandra. She called to Sandra to see what what had happened to her, and at that moment, she too was attacked. Lady Lucan screamed and fought with the attacker who told her to shut up. Later later on, Lady Lucan would claim that she instantly recognised her husband's voice. The two fought some more, and Lady Lucan bit his fingers and squeezed his testicles. He then released her, and Lady Lucan proceeded to ask him where Sandra was. Lady Lucan then alleges that Lord Lucan wasn't forthcoming at first, but admitted that he had killed her. Lady Lucan herself, in a later interview then alleges that she said please don't kill me John where is Sandra he then allegedly replied she's dead don't look Lady Lucan then said she would help him get rid of the body if he would stay in the house just a few days while her wounds healed Lucan then went upstairs sent his older daughter to bed and then proceeded to the bedroom Lady Lucan came upstairs and Lord Lucan asked her for some barbiturates, 
before getting a wet towel to help her clean up her face. Lady Lucan saw her moment and escaped the house, running down the road to the nearest pub, the Plumber's Arms. She raised the alarm and shouted, Help me, help me, help me, I've just escaped being murdered. He's in the house. He's murdered my nanny. The police were called immediately. They forced their way into the house and quickly found the body of Sandra Rivet. Lord Lucan, however, was nowhere to be found. We know that when Lord Lucan discovered that his wife had left the house, he too made his escape. It is thought that Lucan visited the mother of one of his daughter's school friends, Madeline Florman, supposedly to ask her to look after the children. He arrived at around 10pm to 10.30pm, and because Madeline was home alone, she did not answer the door. Shortly afterwards, Madeline received a phone call that was incoherent and she couldn't understand. She put the phone down on the caller. Blood was later found on Madeline Florman's doorstep that was found to be a mixture of groups A and B. It is a known fact that after this incident, Lucan phoned his mother and asked her to collect the children from Lower Belgrave Street instead. He rang her sometime between 10.30pm and 11pm, shortly after visiting Madeline Florman's house. In this phone call to his mother, we get one of Lucan's only accounts of what happened that night. Lucan explains that he had been driving past his wife's house when he had seen her fighting with a man in the basement. He had quickly entered the house and found his wife distressed and screaming. After discussing his account of what had happened with his mother, Lucan jumped into the Ford Corsair and drove to Uckfield in West Sussex, where his friends the Maxwell Scots lived. His time with the Maxwell Scots would be one of the last known confirmed sightings of Lord Lucan by anyone. Lucan's guilt has long been assumed, due to his hasty getaway and subsequent disappearance. But the doubt still lingered in everyone's minds. What motive did he have for killing the nanny? Would he have done something so ill-planned? These doubts have caused the case to become one of the most infamous and most investigated missing person cases in recent history. It was long after the crime that the police were aware of Lucan's whereabouts in Uckfield with the Maxwell Scots. However, it took a lot longer for them to realise that he had seemingly disappeared without a trace. Next episode, we will delve into the crime scene, the investigation into Lord Lucan, his disappearance and the evidence collected in the case. I hope you've enjoyed this first episode of Unseen, a podcast about UK missing people. And if you did like it, I would appreciate a review on iTunes. And also, please tell your friends. Word of mouth is how podcasts survive. I'm Caprice, and this has been Unseen. Unseen.